All right, that was fun, wasn't it? Okay, I'm a little wet, but it's good, right? Well, good. Um, welcome, everybody. Yes, that Made to Play is going to be our new series that's starting next Sunday. If you're here in person, there is a little card on your seat. You can take that and even invite someone to join us next week as we learn that none of us are in the stands. We're all in the game, and, and we are made to play. But today, we're going to wrap up our series, More Than a Feeling, with a special message on gender. Okay, I really thought about after those baptisms, like, but this is a good Sunday. Let's just go home, right? That sounds good, right? Um, we, we've uh, kind of since this summer, you, you guys may remember, we had three baptisms in a span of like five weeks. And we just decided, hey, if people want to get baptized, let's do it. And we had the Lazinski kids that wanted to do it today. And then I think we're going to end up having like seven people getting baptized today in both services. Isn't that cool? So we're always open to that, even on a Sunday where we talk about topics that are difficult, like gender. And I know that this topic is particularly um, challenging for some individuals because you have wondered or struggled with your gender, or maybe it's someone that you love and care about, even a child. So what I want to encourage, if you're here in person or even joining us online, that maybe today isn't a Sunday that you cheer and applaud, okay? I love it when you guys do that. But maybe today is just a good day that we listen because we don't want someone to interpret wrongly our response. Does that make sense? So can we do that, church? Maybe online, don't type in boom, okay, when you get to a point that you like or dislike. Is that okay? Can we do that? Okay, because we want to learn together because when it comes to gender and in particular how that relates to the church and our faith, it is a really difficult topic. Leslie is one of those individuals who understood that personally. Leslie was born female, but from the time she was just four years old, she experienced life as a boy. She thought like a boy, played like a boy. When other little girls wanted to play tea or house, she wanted to play football. And uh, um, Leslie loved Jesus from a young age and actually remembers going to Sunday school and um, loving going to church. She knew she was a child of God. Yet her struggle with gender increased into her adolescence and teenage years as all the girls around her were starting to go through puberty. When they were talking about boys, when they were spending hours on their hair or makeup or clothes, she could not connect. But she didn't want to talk about it with anyone. She struggled and wrestled alone. Like most kids um, struggling with gender identity, she had no one or thought she had no one she could talk to. No one to listen no one to care as she sank into dark periods of depression, then isolation, and then even suicidal thoughts. Finally, Leslie summoned the courage to go to the pastor for help. And Leslie explained the dysphoria that she was experiencing to him, hoping for some pastoral guidance from her pastor. But instead, he escorted her out the back door and told her never to come back again. At that point, she decided she wouldn't go to church again, and she didn't. For 16 years, I'm sorry, for 18 years, she did not set foot in a church again. And she said that she hated Christians, especially pastors, from that point on. You see, for people that are struggling with a gender identity or gender dysphoria, it can be a really difficult thing that they keep inside. It's even harder when they come out to people 
or people in the faith and they get turned away, hurt and excluded. So we are not gonna be like that here at Arise. We love every single human being and I hope that experience will never happen to you here in our church or with anyone connected to our church. Instead, we're going to work as a community to learn about this topic that for some of us is brand new. Some of you maybe have been traveling and, and learning about this for several years now. I know that I've been a pastor now 12 years and I have not once taught specifically on this topic, but yet it is so prominent that as I've began to talk with people in our church and in our community group, they've said, yeah, we've been wanting to hear something on this for quite a while because we all wanna learn and grow together. So that's what we're gonna do today. Is that all right? Good. Because we need to learn about the subject intellectually, but we also need to learn from a heart posture how we can do better as Christians to respond to people around us that are struggling with real issues related to gender. So hopefully we can learn and respond better like the next pastor did in Leslie's story. Because thankfully, Leslie's story didn't end with her in that moment as a teenager. Leslie, as she grew up, fell in love with a woman named Sue. She got married, but Sue had a rare disease that caused her hand to shake. And one night she went out to smoke a cigarette, but because of that disease, she caught herself on fire. When Leslie heard the scream, she ran outside, but it was too late. They rushed her to the hospital and three days later, Sue died. This crushing blow and the loss of a spouse was unbearable for Leslie. And half days, she scrambled to find a church that would host a funeral for her. She called one church that she was aware of, and even though it was the most conservative church in her area, when the pastor picked up the phone and heard the story of what had happened, he didn't say, let me think about it, or let me tell you our position on transgenderism and lesbianism before we move ahead. Instead, he said, we'd be honored to, to host your funeral, and we want you to know that we will take care of all of the details the cost, the arrangements, whatever you need, let us love you through your pain. That's the kind of church I want us to be, that loves people, even if we have different opinions on topics such as gender. So this series so far, um, in, in more than a feeling, we have covered a lot of different relationships. We've covered dating, we've covered marriage, we've covered parenting. But I wanted to have this special message on gender because for individuals who are struggling with their gender identity, those relationships are completely different. And because they want to relate to people and we want to relate to them, some of them are friends, our family members, we need to learn how to do that. And I thought it was especially important in 2023. And so if you're listening to this message, know that I'm talking from 2023. Some of the terms that I'm gonna be using today may be different even a few years from now. So if you're listening back to this, just be aware of that. What we're gonna talk about today is to have a biblical understanding of gender. We're also going to talk about if you are the individual who is struggling with your gender, how should you respond? And then also for all of us, how do we respond if someone we care about and love is struggling with their gender identity as well? We are not gonna talk about issues of politics it's not that I don't think those things are important. That's just beyond the scope of what we're gonna be discussing this morning. 
So to begin, I thought it would be helpful to have some definitions because um, I, I feel like I'm pretty young, um, but yet the definitions I was taught growing up are different than the ones that are being used today. So let's go through so that we all kind of have a basic understanding. A lot of this is pulled from a book called Embodied by Preston Sprinkle, and it, along with several other resources, are linked on our website. And if you're using the YouVersion Bible app, you can see some of the resources we have recommended on this subject on our website. So the first term that you need to understand in a topic of gender is the word sex, which is our biological identity. There's male or female as we have XX chromosome or XY chromosome. That's pretty standard and understood, but yet there is a different uh, word that we are talking about today, which is gender. Now, when I grew up, maybe you were used to something like this that you see behind me, that when you talk about sex and gender, they were basically identical. Um, I, I remember even as recently as 10 years ago, if you saw on a form sex or gender, they meant that they were asking the same question, right? Whether you're born male or born female. So that was for many people their idea of what these two things were because your gender, it can be sometimes the inward identity, but it's also the outward expression of who you are as a person related to masculinity and femininity. So for most people up until a few decades ago or even a few years ago, this was the understanding that most people had. And yet over the past few decades, and actually what I was taught in college is that sex may be biological, but gender is something that is socially conditioned. And so in our society, those things have been completely separated out, sex and gender. So even though you may have the biological markers to be a man or a woman, your gender might be something totally different. And as you can see, as we've made this graphic, that there's quite a bit of overlap. So therefore people say, hey, I might be biologically a male, but I feel like, and therefore want to present myself as a, uh, the opposite sex because my gender is separate from my sex. Now, a couple other uh, terms that you should be aware of. One is gender dysphoria. This is actually the psychological condition that is diagnosed in, by the DSM, the D Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that counselors use today, that people who struggle with a disconnect between their biological sex and the gender they experience and, and present, that those people have a gender dysphoria. Not all people who are transgender have this, but it is a strong psychological condition that causes people to struggle. One person described their experience with this as an electric current through their body that cause their joints to ache, their stomach to turn, their hands to shake, and even nausea at their worst moments. So this is and can be a very severe condition. Others describe it as a war within themselves between their mind and their body. A couple other terms you should be aware of, the next one is transgender. Transgender would refer to then those people who choose to have a different gender from the biological sex they were born with. And that's about 0.6% of adults in America or 1.4 million Americans by the last numbers I read. Two other terms, one would be non-binary. Perhaps you've heard of this as well, that people who say, hey, I, I'm neither male nor female, but some third or a combination of the first two. Um, a few years ago, Facebook had 71 different options for gender. Now they just allow custom because there's even more than 71. 
Another term is intersex. This is different and should be distinguished from transgender because an intersex person is someone who's actually born biologically with either the chromosomes or the, um, the genitals or some other marking internally or externally that does not match either male or female and perhaps some combination of them. And it does not match with the sex assigned at birth. So now that we have those definitions underway, the next thing I want us to do is actually look at what God's word says about gender. Is that okay? So let's open up our Bibles together to Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27, the very beginning. Now these words aren't just the foundation of our scriptures. This is what Jesus refers back to the apostle Paul, all the early Christians, they wanted to go to the very beginning, how God created us. And in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, we read, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. And in verse 27, it says, The Lord God's, I'm sorry, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So from the very beginning, God creates all of mankind in his image. This is significant. We are different than all of the other living creatures on the planet, including the angels which God created. We human beings alone are in God's image to represent him and be in his likeness. This means that even human beings we don't like or have different opinions about even things like gender are made in God's image and are deserving of dignity and respect. And yet very clearly here at the very beginning, God also made them male and female. I think God is being very clear. He's saying, yes, it's all of mankind, but you need to know male and female are equal in God's eyes, equal in respect to their dignity and worth. And there's a difference between the male and female that God's created. And if you jump to chapter two, it, which I believe gives a deeper explanation of how God created humankind, in verse 18 of chapter two, it says, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man who was created first to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the man is there by himself working in the garden and then God brings every single animal by him one by one and even man's best friend, the dog, was not enough. He finally had to create a woman suitable for him. That word suitable uh, is a word that's actually a combination of two Hebrew words. It means uh, like he, which means like, and neged, which means in front of or opposite of. It's interesting because it's one word that means they're similar and one word that means they're opposite. And that's the combination. So God wanted to make something similar to the first man and yet also different from him. And of course, then God created the first woman. And there was the connection and there was the first marriage. The two fit together. We often use the word complementary. That's complement with an E, not an I. Though I say those are good in marriage as well. Okay, but it would complement with an E, like complementary angles fitting together to make something better together. Though they are different, they are also similar. These are actually the same words, both in chapter one and chapter two, that Jesus himself 
quotes and references when he teaches on men and women, and in particular on marriage in Matthew chapter 19. So I want you to see what Jesus has to say about this subject. It's not just Old Testament. Jesus says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and to be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. So Jesus is affirming what God had created at the very beginning in Genesis chapter one. It's the foundation for men and women and for marriage. So a basic point that I want you to understand from this is that God created male and female equally with significant overlap and distinctives. Do you understand that? So God created them equally. Every human being is equal in God's eyes. There's a significant overlap between men and women. They're both human beings. They're both um, have a lot of genetic characteristics that they share, and yet there's also differences between them. That was the helper suitable for him. That was what that word meant. It was same yet different. And there are a lot of similarities between men and women. In fact, there are much more similarities than there are differences. Can we just say that? All human beings. We share some 20,000 genes that are the same for men and women. Do you recognize that? There is more that makes us similar than makes us different. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about the differences, but before we do, some people are already thinking, well, Matt, what about intersex people? I've already brought that up. Aren't there people that are created by God that are neither male nor female? Yes. We believe as uh, what the Bible teaches is that in Genesis chapter three, the very next chapter that sin enters the world through the first man and through the first woman. And therefore, because of sin, there is brokenness in our world all around. And this goes down even to our genetics and our anatomy. Just like there are people that are born with different limbs or with chromosomal defects, there are people that do not fit the mold exactly. Jesus seemingly refers to this as well in his teaching in Matthew chapter 19 when he talks about people who are eunuchs from birth. A eunuch was someone in those days who oftentimes was forced to lose their genitals, a man, so that they would basically be acting like a woman in, as a slave. And in the same way, Jesus says some people are born that way. They are born without the genitals that do not fit in clear categories of male and female. And I believe that for people who are born with these conditions, and there are a handful of conditions, that a special amount of grace and love should come from all of us. And yet, if you look a little bit closer, most intersex people identify as male or female, which is most common for them at the gender assigned for birth. In fact, the Intersex Society of North America on their own website says that intersex people are perfectly comfortable with adopting either a male or a female gender and are not seeking a genderless society. And when people are born with that condition, often they will pursue taking hormones or pursuing a surgery that makes them more in line with the gender they were assigned at birth. Do you understand? And yet, transgenderism is the opposite. 
pursuing hormones, treatment, and uh, away from the gender that they were assigned at birth. <clears throat> now, people say that, that the number that uh, is intersex in our society is as high as 1.7%, as high as people with red hair, yet if you look a little bit closer, it's actually only 1% of that 1.7% who actually have characteristics, whether chromosomally or, gen or, or with their anatomy, that um, is ambiguous at all. So we're talking about a very, very small percentage of people. And yet we say, hey, let's love people who have abnormalities, that have differences. That's what we should do as Christians. Every person is created in the image of God. Now, with such a small percentage, which is 0.0017% of our society, you think, okay, well, why are we even talking about this at all? But in Gen Z today, on average, 20% of them have some struggle with their gender identity. And in DPS, the number is even higher than 20%. Meaning in our city, this is a much bigger issue than that 0.0017%. So what is going on here? Some people will say, well, hey, we are born with an intersex brain. Now, the interesting thing about this claim is that as of right now, with the science we have, it's not provable one way or the other. There have been studies that seem to show there are differences in the brains between men and women, and those who have transgenderism show that, and there's other studies that show the opposite. I've looked at this, and I have not been able to see a clear thing, and experts much smarter than me say the same thing. It's ambiguous in the data that we have. The problem is, even if they are to prove that, we now know that our brains are plastic, that they change over time that people who are taxi drivers in London, they've studied their brains, that they have a form of their brain that's good at navigating that changes over a lifetime. Those who are violinists can literally change the structure of their brain by playing violin over a lifetime. So the question then becomes, well, which came first? The changed brain or did the brain change? We don't know. So I wanna table that discussion for just a little bit because I wanna talk about now this broader category of men and women and how they interact in the Bible with gender. If we see that God created male and female equally with significant overlaps and distinctives, we know that there are some differences between men and women. I was taught in college that sex is biological and gender is 100% societal. So someone could be born a certain way and if they're given certain clothes and toys, they're gonna to turn out a certain gender. But that is not actually true to the science or what we know to be true. Women, of course, have a different chromosomes, XX to males, XY. But also the skeletal structures of women are different than men. They have a shorter skull, they have a broader face, shorter legs. Women's organ size are different than men. Women have a larger stomach, kidneys and liver, yet smaller lungs than men. Physiologically, we know that men and women are different. Things like menstruation, pregnancy, lactation. We know that women's blood is actually different than male blood. That women's blood con contains more water and fewer red blood cells. And since red blood cells contain oxygen, it causes women then to fatigue easier. We know that women actually can withstand higher temperatures than men. Did you know that? Because their metabolism will actually slow down in higher temperatures to compensate. All told, though there are 20,000 genetic similarities, there are 6,500 genes that are different. 6,500. We even know now that at a cellular level, 
your cells are sexed, either male or female. So from the smallest to the greatest part of a human being, there are differences between men and women. And if that is true scientifically, we also know that that will always have an effect on how we live. It's why boys younger than two years old are five times more aggressive than girls of the same age. This is before society can even change things. There are differences. We know that boys on average have 15 times more testosterone than women, and therefore they are more aggressive. We also know that females score significantly higher on cognitive empathy scores than male. And this was a study of over 300,000 individuals in 57 different countries, and men in none of those countries scored higher than women. Some of you know exactly what we're talking about. There are differences in how we uh, think, how we feel that are tied to the biology that makes us different. And so biblically speaking, God has a consistent pattern in the scriptures that men are supposed to live a certain way and women a different way. One scripture that is often referred to is Deuteronomy 22.5. I want us to look, about it, look at it very quickly, which says that a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. From the very beginning, there was this instruction for God's people this way. Now, some of you are like, Matt, we're not in the Old Testament. You're right. We are not under the Old Testament law. And yet in the New Testament, the pattern continues. When Paul gives instructions in 1 Corinthians 14, he gives some very cultural instructions, because a lot of this is cultural, we'll get into that in a second, that men should pray without their head covers and women should have their head covered. So why would he talk about the um, cultural differences of gender in the church in the New Testament? Because it's a pattern that continues. Even in the New Testament, Paul is saying men and women should present themselves differently. And though there, are, I, I wanna make this clear, there are thousands of commands in the Bible for both men and women. So most of the instruction for men and women to follow Jesus is the same. And yet there are some very distinct instructions like one we looked at last week for fathers. So there are still many differences that the Bible teaches us to be mothers, fathers, husbands, and wives, men and women differently. So I wanna show you one more graphic that I think better conveys what the Bible teaches about sex and gender is that yes, there are sex and gender which are combined in the scriptures, yet we know there's significant overlap between men and women. Can we just admit that? Meaning there are some men that seem more feminine than even some women that you know. And there are some women that appear more masculine than some men you know. And this is all part of God's design because most of the overlap, it just means you're a human being. And there's another problem that gets in the way. And I wanna show you this last graphic, stereotypes. This is the real problem that we're talking about, that people confuse here. There are many gender stereotypes that have been around for hundreds and thousands of years. And a lot of people think that the church even Christians think that that's what the Bible teaches. Yet these stereotypes are just that, cultural stereotypes. Now, some of them you're just gonna naturally do, but, but none of them are required by the scriptures. 
What the Bible doesn't teach anywhere is that men need, need to work outside the home and women need to work in the home. Did you know that's not in the Bible? In fact, the Proverbs 31 woman is admired because she basically has a commercial real estate business. It doesn't say that men lead and, and women follow because there are women like Deborah in the Bible who are great leaders of even the nation of Israel. The Bible doesn't teach that women are to bake and men get to man the grill. Okay, that's cultural. It doesn't say that men have to drive and women have to sit shotgun. There were no cars in the Bible. We have so much cultural stereotype that for many of us is tied to what we think it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we need to learn to remove gender from stereotypes. Because if we were to do that, a lot of people who say, I struggle to be the, the man that I'm supposed to be. No, no, no. Don't be the man you think society or cultural stereotypes say. Be the man who God calls you to be. Because I look at who Jesus is and he washed his disciples' feet. He wept when his friend died. He was gentle. And he is the truest man to ever live. We should look to the Bible and not to stereotypes. And we should do the same in our church. If someone is a little different than you, that's good. If they don't fit into your box of masculinity or femininity, that's good. I don't want us all to be the same. And we better not say you throw a ball like a girl because I've seen softball on ESPN and I wish I could throw a ball as well as some of those girls. We need to recognize that we are different and it's okay to be different and continue to be the person God created you to be. So we must break up our ideas of stereotypes while holding on to the sex and gender that God created us to live in. In 1 Corinthians chapter six, verses 19 and 20, we read, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. God gave us our bodies. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit built by God. So let's honor God with the bodies in the way that he created us to honor him. Because even God himself, when he came down to show us that he loved us, came in the form of a body with a male gender. And Jesus walked among us, loving us in a body. And even when he died on the cross three days later, he rose in a body, and he continues to be referred to as he. So we have no reason to think that this body is any different. In fact, that there is significant overlap because he still has the scars where he was punctured when he was put up on the cross. Even for us as followers of Jesus, our hope is not that our soul would leave our body. Our hope as Christians is that one day we will receive new bodies at the resurrection, connected to our old, just like Jesus's glorious body. Christianity is a bodily religion. Preston Sprinkle says this, we are not souls with bodies, but embodied souls. It's actually only a temporary quick time where the soul leaves the body until we are resurrected again. 
So I want you to learn this, that God designed us to express our gender in connection with the biological bodies he gave us. The Bible doesn't separate sex and gender. It doesn't say that that gender is fluid, though our internal sense might feel fluid, our body is not. So if you're a man who likes show tunes or a woman who watches MMA, praise God. And we should be a church filled with grace for those who are different. So what do we do then if you are here and, or you're listening to this right now and you're saying, I struggle with this, Matt. I don't feel like the biological sex God created me to be. First off, I wanna say that God loves you. Jesus loves you. He cares about you. He sees you just the way you are and he loves you. He wants you and he wants you to be his child. And I want you to know this, people are told, and you might have heard this, that you neither need to transition or you will eventually kill yourself. And that is a false dichotomy. It's not true. It's not true with what we see even psychologically. Let me tell you this, that if you choose to transition in any way, it's extremely costly. And I've heard this from people who have undergone some of this stuff. It's very costly. It's a lot time consuming. You have to go through fertility clinics. It seems never ending to change. And sex reassignment surgery actually has mixed reviews. There are some studies that show that gender dysphoria may decrease after undergoing transition, but there's also some that show that it increases, that mental health issues after a transition is 41% or higher. Most studies only look about one year after and they say, hey, are you happy? And they'll say, oh yeah, I'm good. But there was a Swedish study that looked over a lifetime because one year is not enough. And in a widely um, published study from 2011, they surveyed 324 sex reassigned persons in Sweden over 30 years. And they wrote this, their conclusion, after sex reassignment, have, people have considerably higher risks for mortality, suicidal behavior and psychiatric morbidity than the general population. In fact, it's 20 times higher than the general population. Another Danish study said that for some surgery may seem to help for a little while, but for others, it actually increases mental health issues. Transitioning may also cause emotional problems, infertility, disappointing surgeries, anger for not being able to pass, and a growing percentage of people are saying they regret their decisions. I say this because I want to help you with your future. We love you. I love you. And what I would say is that what society today, our today's society says is to change our bodies to fit with our minds and the scriptures teach the opposite. Change your minds to fit with your body. In fact, you see this in Romans chapter 12 verses one and two. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want to encourage you to offer your bodies to God and allow him to renew your mind. There is power. There is healing found in Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And it may take time, it may even take a lifetime. So my encouragement is to offer your body to God that he may renew your mind over a lifetime.
For some, it seems instantaneous that there is healing. For others, it's a struggle for a long, long time. But I wanna encourage you, follow Jesus and pursue lifetime transformation like every single person who has been called to follow Jesus. Be freed of cultural stereotypes. Be you and become like Jesus. However, God created you to be. And I would encourage you to learn to love your body. This is a hard thing. But I have spoken with others who struggle with other um, body psychological issues like anorexia, bulimia, or body dysmorphia. And for none of those conditions do we encourage them to embrace starving themselves or hurting their body or amputating limbs they don't want. Instead, we tell them to learn to love their body even if it takes a lifetime of fighting for that. I would also encourage you, don't do it alone. Don't suffer in silence. You have a whole church here that is willing to love you and care about you and listen to you. I will listen to you, I'll pray for you. So will so many others here. There are Christian counselors who would love to walk with you day in and week in and week out through your struggles. And I would even say this, even the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, which is very pro-transgender, in their instruction to healthcare providers say that often counseling and psychotherapy are enough to help people reintegrate their gender to their biological sex. Is this hard? Absolutely. But the path of following Jesus is difficult as we put his identity above our own. And that's why I wanna encourage all of us, and this isn't just for people with gender dysphoria, for all of us to find your identity in how God created you. God created you. Jesus loves you. Follow Christ. And if you're here and you're the parent or a family member of someone who's struggling with this, I wanna encourage this. And this goes to everyone in our church. Love isn't fight or fold, it's grace and truth. A lot of Christians think I've gotta fight you because I disagree with you. No, don't do that. We also fold and say, well, I love this person, so I'm gonna give up what I believe the Bible teaches. Don't do either of those things. Instead, choose to hold on to both grace and truth 100%. So counselors, activists, all of us, we, we shouldn't listen to the people who say they, that your child must transition or they're gonna commit suicide. It's not true. Uh, I, uh, some parents say that our only choice was to have a dead son or, or a living daughter, but that's not true. There is other options. Most transgender adolescents also struggle, get this, with issues like abuse, trauma, depression, and anxiety. In fact, one study found that 63% of kids had one or more diagnoses of psychiatric disorder or neurodevelopmental issues before the onset of gender dysphoria. Meaning people have lots of issues that are not getting treated and instead choosing a gender transition. In fact, only one out of four of those young patients ever received help for any other issues before they were encouraged by a medical professional to pursue transition. And in one meta-analysis, somewhere between 61 and 88% of those with early onset dysphoria, meaning before 18, before puberty, 61 to 88% of them will choose to um, identify with the gender they were assigned at birth. Meaning a large majority of people will have that gender dysphoria go away. So be careful. 
to encourage people to do something that could hurt them for a long time. And what I would encourage, just love. You might be called bigoted or transphobic by them or other people around you, but we're gonna choose 100% grace and 100% truth. That is love. And as a church, we must welcome, love, and respect people even though we disagree with them. The marginalized, the misunderstood, the shamed, the shunned should be welcomed here, loved and accepted, to be part of our groups, to be in our kids' classrooms, at youth group on Wednesday nights, and in church on Sunday mornings, even serving. We must be a church that's different because Jesus cares about all people. God created all in his image. The majority of people who struggle with gender issues have been harassed at school, suffered physical or sexual violence, have family members who refuse to speak to them, and most have experienced homelessness. So let's be different. 100% grace, 100% truth. In a world that is choosing outrage, let's choose outrageous love. Um, I wanted you to hear a story of someone who experienced their own gender dysphoria, and Scott is here with us this morning. He'll be available for prayer, um, but I want us to hear this story from Scott himself. Hello, my name is Scott Kingry. I'm the program director of a ministry called Where Grace Abounds, which is here in Denver. I would say that gender and sexuality have been a really painful part of my life, but also a, a lot of redemption has come through Jesus through those things. Pretty much right out of the gate at ages four, five, and six, I did not want to be a boy. I wanted to be a girl. And of course, that set up a lot of problems at home and at school. So I would say I had more gender dysphoric experiences. As I started hitting puberty, there was another sort of distress, like my body's growing into something that I don't want it to be. There was some distress. I remember wearing lots of heavy clothing, just because I just, even in the summer when it was really hot, because I was just so uncomfortable in my own skin and in my own body. I just never felt at home there. There's three ways that I was walking out my gender uh, confusion or issues or incongruence. One was, could I just stay a small boy <laughs> and never grow up like Peter Pan? I just don't want to grow up into being an adult man. Of course, there wasn't. Um, or the question, should I be a woman? Should I be thinking about like reassignment surgery or... I could just live. The third option was to just be neither. I didn't really feel like I fit in either camp. And I think a lot of the time I just lived as though I didn't have a gender. I became a Christian at 17, lasted as a Christian for about a year and a half or so after I turned 18. I was just struggling with gender issues and issues around my sexuality and sadly hearing really awful messages about the LGBTQ community from the pulpit. I just really felt like there's no place for me in God's kingdom. Uh, but I did meet a gentleman, a Christian man, who really took the time to hear my story, to meet with me weekly, to meet me exactly where I was. He just kept talking about Jesus and he was no expert on any of these topics. So I just say that, that you can come alongside anybody and be Jesus to them. And this man really redirected my whole life. And I did come back to the Lord and found the ministry of Where Grace Abounds and was able to really address some of these issues over a period of time. 
because I think we have a lot of stereotypes in our culture about what it means to be a man or a woman, and really realize that a lot of the stereotypes aren't even biblical. They're just cultural. I had to really heal a lot of old wounds and belief systems. I had to really take a look at those and work on healing around some of the wounds I experienced around some of this gender within my family, with the, at school, being bullied, being labeled. Been really working hard to reclaim a positive view of my own body uh, created in God's image and that it's a good thing. And just a, my, my sexuality that, you know, God created that too. And, and it's a good thing, no matter how it's been distorted or broken, like all of us. Jesus has always been such a good model for me as far as being a man. He didn't, he didn't fit any of the cultural stereotypes of his time or culture, but he was the fullest person on the planet. I think that's a great role model. Thank you, Scott. Can we give Scott a hand for sharing his story? So tonight, we're having a special event. We're calling it a gender discussion where Scott and a few others from Where Grace Abounds are gonna be here to have, they're gonna share some of their story, but also just a time for open discussion, okay? We can talk about whatever you want tonight. So you can come from 6 to 7.30 tonight. It will not be live streamed. Um, so if you wanna be here, make sure you come back tonight for that. Um, and I love what Scott said about Jesus because really Jesus is the one who we're following. We are all being conformed into his image not into our own image, but into his. And Jesus is the one who not only died on the cross to forgive us of all our sins, to give us new life, but Jesus also rose from the dead to show us that perfect, restored human body that we will all one day get to live in. And in Revelation, it tells us that that body that we will get to live in forever in the new heavens and the new earth will be one where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death meaning there's no more mental illness, there's no more depression, anxiety, suicidality, and there's no more gender dysphoria. I shared those words of hope earlier this year in a message and in a woman in our church who, who personally struggled, and, and I got permission to share this because her husband came out as transgender and because of that, their marriage fell apart. When I shared those words earlier this year, she texted me and she said, hey, Pastor Matt, thank you for specifically mentioning a heaven without gender dysphoria. That brought tears to my eyes. I no longer have hope for my current marriage, but have undying hope for my soon-to-be ex because of who Jesus Christ is. So let's follow Jesus. Let's look to be like him and change ourselves to fit into his image. Make him your identity. And Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Feel that love of Jesus, that we get to walk in a new life, not our own. So let's be like Jesus, let's love like Jesus, let's welcome others like Jesus and be transformed to be like Jesus together. Let's pray. Lord God, we need your help, we need your hope um, because we struggle with things like our gender, with our bodies. And I pray that you'd help each one of us become like you. Everyone in this room and everyone listening to my voice has different issues that we struggle with. And I pray that you'd help each one of us to follow you even when it's hard. Now with eyes closed, 
I just wanna say that there are some of you that have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you that Jesus loves you. He forgives your sins and he offers you new life right now in the body and eternal life ahead. And if you're here and you're saying, I've never made Jesus my Lord and Savior, maybe today is the day to do that. So please repeat this prayer after me. And if you're a follower of Jesus, say this prayer out loud to give courage to somebody who needs to pray it for the first time. Please repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Save me, forgive me. In faith I declare, Jesus is Lord. Help me to follow you. Help me to follow your spirit and give me hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Now with eyes closed, if you said that prayer for the first time and meant it, if Jesus today for the first time is your Lord and Savior, we wanna celebrate with you and encourage you. So put your hand in the air on the count of three and we actually wanna come around and give you a book. So one, two, three, put your hand in the air if you made that decision today. If we see any hands, you can also go online to arisedenver.com slash follow and let us know and we'll send you a copy of that book as well. Uh, Lord God, we need you. Give us hope, give us a future, and help us love you and love others like you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.